Making a recipe that calls for butter? Make it better with European butter from France. With a minimum of 82% butter fat, it's no wonder French butter is the number one choice of chefs the world over. Whether you're whipping up an omelet, sauteing vegetables, or spreading it on toast, the rich, cultured flavor of butter from France always elevates. Be sure to look for Made in France on the label. And for recipes, tips, and tricks, go to tasteeurope.com. In a lot of other industries, people do not scream. And they true. Get, and they get some great results. It's true. Like, for instance, the pilots in a plane have tremendous stress, right? And they have to bring the plane in the air and fly and land. I do not believe it's a screaming match over there in the cockpit. You're listening to The Taste Podcast. I'm Editor-in-Chief Matt Rodbard, here with Senior Editor Anna Hiesel. Today on the show, we have Eric Repair, world traveler, TV host, and the chef at Le Bernardin in New York City. Later on, we'll be talking to Deb Perlman of Smitten Kitchen, who will be answering a question from a reader. Matt, how is it catching up with Eric, and what is he up to? Well, it's fall, which means it's the busiest time of year for a New York restaurant chef. Why is it so busy? The Michelin Guide is dropping stars. It's crazy. It's really nerve-wracking. We talk about the process for Michelin Guide and what it means to get the call that can make or break a restaurant. You and Eric have a little bit of a history, right? You've known each other for a few years. Yeah, we've been uh, we've been friends for about five years. We we actually went to Korea together five years ago, and we relive that trip, um, which I wrote about for Bon Appetit magazine. And uh, we talk about like the the markets we visit, and it was just fun to to talk about Korean food and how it has really impacted him for almost half a decade. Here's Matt catching up with Eric Repair. Eric Repair, thank you for joining the Taste Podcast. Thank you for having me. It's so good to see you. It's been a little while. It's a little while, but uh, I'm happy to see you again, too. Oh, man, we haven't hung out. We need to have dinner sometime. Where, where should we go? Where do you want to go? Take me downtown. Down, downtown? I'm midtown. you midtown. Yeah. Right now, let, let, let's go have fun. Have you been down to the wild air recently? Wild air on Orchard? No, but I went to um, a Chinese tuxedo, oh, yeah. which is very close. Yeah. It was a lot of fun. Yeah, a place I've heard good things about. Yeah, the food is delicious and uh, the decor is really fun and yeah. it's good ambience, good vibe. Yeah. We'll pick a place downtown. I think maybe we'll go to Dirt Candy. That's a good spot. That's a good idea. I love Dirt Candy. I want to talk to you about this is like fall. We're, we're right into this, this really special moment for restaurants. I feel everyone's back from vacation. Yes. They're back from the beach. Yes. And it's like everyone wants to go out to restaurants like Le Bernardin. I mean, this is like... And I like that. Oh, of course you like that. I mean, tell me what's going through your mind when we're in like fall right now. This is a really busy time for you. Yeah, it's very busy. Uh, this week was the UN. Yeah. So that... Heard about it? That's really a special week. And uh, in terms of creativity, I al always think about the transition in between the summer and the fall. And, you know, we have an Indian summer in the US, but the ingredients change. Um, right now, the tomatoes are actually delicious, but in two weeks, it's finished. So it's a transition, and we're starting to see some interesting mushroom, 
from Asia, we have some matsutaki that are now in season, and we have we are receiving like the baby ones like that. Uh, baby. Uh, the white truffles are starting to come from Italy. Uh, it's the beginning of the season for them yeah. as well. Uh, it's a lot of ingredients that are coming, and then I think our f- taste change a little bit with the seasons. I mean, when you, when you start the summer in July, you crave vegetables that now you. Oh. Don't necessarily want to see beans, anymore. You don't really want beans anymore. You're kind of over and, beans, yeah. And and you know, like suddenly, like the butter butternut squash, it looks pretty good for a soup, you know, at night and things like that. What about the seasonality of seafood? I mean, that's something of that I course. feel like we don't talk about enough in food media. Is like the seasonality of seafood. It's definitely some seasonality. Uh, so the good news is that the sea urchin are starting very soon to be like excellent. Uh, the tuna is migrating right now. Uh-huh. They are they are on the on the coast of uh, uh, in between New York and Montauk. It's a lot of uh, yellowfin and, and bluefin. We don't serve bluefin tuna because it's considered uh, an endangered species uh-huh. uh, by many lists. Mm-hmm. However, we serve yellowfin that is coming from Montauk. It's striped bass are in season. Oh, stripers are beautiful right now. This year they are amazing. I've seen some cool photos. Let's talk about uni. Are you are you buying from Hokkaido in Japan? Are you buying from Santa Barbara? We buy from Maine. Oh, so neither. Okay, thank we, you. We like we like to stay uh, as me. local as we can, and then depending of the quality that we get from Maine, sometimes we compensate with uh, Hokkaido uh, that are fairly similar in in size and and in flavor. And then, of course, in Santa Barbara, they have beautiful ones. What do you think about uni? Do you you like it? I I love them, yes. And uh, I grew up in the Mediterranean where we used to like jump and go get them and then you crack them right there on the rock. But they are very different than the ones that we have here and in in Asia. They are small tongs inside, very orange in color, uh, not as rich and fatty. Uh, it's not fatty, but rich, and they're very pungent. Uh-huh. But I love those urchins. Those are so good. And then in, we're, we're approaching um, late October, which is, I know on your calendar, it's when the Michelin Guide announces stars. I think I, this year is November six or something like that. You do know the day. I just wanted to ask. I mean, you've had your stars, and you've had four stars in your time for over twenty years, and you've had your three stars from Michelin for a considerable amount of time. Not sure how many. Sorry, since the Michelin's in in New York, which was the first time they they came Correct. to America. Right. So since the inception of the guide, you've had three and four, which is the highest rankings. Yeah. I mean, we can t- we will talk about um, the restaurant, your ethics there, and and how you maintain quality. But what do you what goes through your head when you're when you're approaching this season of stars? I mean, it's gonna <laughs> be stressful a little bit. Not really. I mean, like obviously the the same week or the day before, you don't, maybe don't sleep so well. Um, the Michelin, the way they do it is that they give you a call. Mm-hmm. Uh, usually they are, I mean, at least with, with a couple of chefs that I know, they call us on our cell phone. So you, you know that you're going to receive a call that day before the party where they announce the, the, the star system. Uh, so you're kind of anxious to get that call. You've got that adrenaline coursing <laughs> through your body on that morning. Yeah, I yeah. have to say, yes. But the rest of the year, although I don't take any awards and stars for granted and and we are very appreciative of it it's not my focus every day i wake up i don't think about the stars of course not. every day when i wake up i i i believe 
in doing a good job, in motivating the team, mm -hmm. in creating an experience ultimately for the client that is unique. Um, I, I think about many other details that are basically my day. I never think about about stars and rewards and media attention and so on, yeah. except when it's the day off, of yeah. course. Yeah, and that's the when you should obviously pop a really nice bottle of champagne when you... When, 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 yeah, you have when to you, celebrate. You, you don't want exactly. to insult your luck, that's for sure. And the team also, I think it's a great reward for the team. Um, they work hard all year long, and then when they see the, the, the result, they're like, wow, this is great motivation. They're very proud. Your reputation in... Um, um, as a leader in the industry is is sterling. I mean, you have a great reputation. I talk to a lot of your former cooks and 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 stages, um, but you do it without like screaming. You do it with with yes. a very. How, how how do you do that? How do you actually get a lot of work done without having that? Well, it's interesting because in a lot of other industries, people do not scream, and they true. get and they get some great results. It's true in some. Like, for instance, the pilots in a plane have tremendous stress, right? And the, they have to bring the plane in the air and fly and land. I do not believe it's screaming much over there in the cockpit. Right. So, and especially when there's a, like the main pilot and a co-pilot who's younger. It's not like, you got to make sure to do that. So maybe I'm wrong, but I doubt <laughs> they are screaming at each yeah. other. It's, it's a lot of jobs that are very stressful and where you have to be extremely cautious and, and focused, right? And... Kitchens are like that. I think the mentality of screaming in a kitchen is counterproductive. It's old-fashioned way of um, managing a team. It's not constructive. And I think it's important for chefs who are screaming to understand that anger is not a strength. Anger is a weakness. It's true. So therefore, every day I make sure that I address to the staff issues and, and when I'm not happy, uh, my frustrations, but in a very polite way. Uh, I do not scream. It's very, I, I don't recall when the last time I, I elevated the tone of my voice, not even screaming. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. But like for instance, today, for, for instance, I was checking the oysters and there was a, a lady in a, in a station and I said, can you open please all the oysters we have and I would like to test them. So she came and she presented me the oysters. And I said, so which ones are from the West Coast and the East Coast? She didn't know. And then I said, do you know the name of the oysters you opened? She didn't know. So I said, you know, go back over there in your station and first of all, learn the difference in between. This is a big yeah. mistake. It's a huge mistake. Huge I said, mistake. Learn, because I said, learn the West Coast and, and, and East Coast difference. The shell is different. The West Coast is wavy and the East Coast is not. And then come back at me with the names. And she came back and she said, I'm so sorry. I apologize. And I said, it's not a big deal. I just want you to go and do it because as you can imagine, it's... Yeah, it's you quite make, important. And yeah, also... So she got it. Yeah, and I don't yeah. think any employee is uh, happy to burn the fish or to overcook something. It's not like they take great pleasure in sabotaging the recipe. Yeah. It's just that they made a mistake. And then if they make the same mistake over and over and over, maybe 
then maybe it's time for to go to another place, but we don't have to humiliate them. We don't have to scream at them. We don't have to add stress to them. You have ways of extracting underperforming stack, staff from your from your line, right? I mean, there's, it's like yes. any company, like well, if they were failing here. Yes, but sometimes also like someone has a personal problem or someone had a rough night or whatever it is mm-hmm. and is not performing and we see it, we just remove that person from the line. We say, you know, like leave the line, we're going to put someone else and do something else and we're going to tell you what to do. And then when when you back to 100%, you come back to the line. And hey, listener, you know, this, this guy's had four New York Times stars for 20 years. So maybe you're doing something right there. It's a, it's a teamwork and I think we do the best we can. And to see the rewards make us very happy, of course. It's great motivation. I wanted to transition over to your memoir, 32 Yokes, which, yeah. you know, you've it came out quite a while ago, a year and a half ago. But I have to say, I think about it often. Uh, I read it. I was really moved by it. And Thank you. Yeah, you're welcome. It, it's true. And I, I wanted to talk about, you know, you dive into kitchen culture um, and abuse and success and this range of emotions. Mm. Now, I just want to know, do you do you also think about your time working in France? Do you, do you reflect on that often in your life or are you looking ahead? I, of course, I, I mean, I, I have a lot of memories from, from the beginning of my career in France, but I live very much in the present because I'm, I'm extremely busy with, with the team and so on. So I don't have really nostalgic thoughts on a daily base, on a weekly base. Mm-hmm. Now, if I have a discussion with you, of course, we can talk about the past and I can tell you some stories which are sometimes funny, sometimes... Uh... Well, they're in the book and they're really... <laughs> yeah. yeah. Were you surprised at all by the response? Did you feel... Uh, you were really honest and there was definitely some hurt feelings. There had to so be... I was very... Very, you, you say a word that really surprised me because everybody came to me and said, you were very honest. And I, and I said, you know, maybe I'm naive, but I thought when you write your memoir, <laughs> you're supposed to be honest. Uh, I had no idea. So I was, yes, I wanted to make sure that it was very true to the experience that I lived at that time. And I made sure that we micromanage details sometimes to make sure that it was exactly in in the situation that I, I wanted to share with with the reader. You end. Um, I mean, you're taking a plane to, New- to Washington D.C. where you started your career in America. That's like the last scene, closing scene. Yes, um, I'm entering the plane. They're closing the door, that's it, and right. that's it. The the, me- the memoir is over. Close. Well, there, but your story has not ended there. There's lots of great stories working in New York, working sure. in D.C. Are you going to write a second no, part? No, I am not. I think in the U.S. it has been pretty well documented uh, what I have done by various uh, journalists and publications and so on. And um, I don't see the need of writing a memoir at this point. Maybe I could writes maybe some anecdotes about Le Bernardin or a few stories. I don't I don't know, but right now it's not in my mind. Fair enough. I, I And you know when when I did Thirty Two Yolks, it was not in my mind for a long time. Actually Random House was 
um, pushing me to do the memoir. And I was like, I don't feel it. <laughs> and I was like, I'm too young, but it took eight years to do it. So. Yeah, and, it, and by the end, I, I finished the memoir. I was it, it, the, at the right age. Narratives change, though. I'm like, this is an evolving story of food culture and chef culture, and you're really at the center of a progressive thought. So I just let yes. me encourage you to take those notes and eh, maybe you'll change your mind. Maybe, but it's for sure it's going to take time. I that's I respect you. Got plenty of plenty of time. Uh, I want to talk about Korea. We we went there. In, we went in there. 2013. Uh, Already which, isn't that crazy wow, when you think flies? Like dude, that was like five years ago, almost yes. to the date. And man, we had such a good time. That was your first trip to Korea, and you've been back many times since. Yes, which makes me feel so happy. Yes. Tell me what I love the country. Tell me about I it. love the people. Look, it's a very friendly culture. Um, they love food. They love to party, mm-hmm. which is nothing wrong with that. Uh, they have a very great spirituality. So I went to the monasteries and I spent some time with monks and nuns. And then I went, I came back to Seoul and ate in many restaurants and, and uh, enjoyed the nightlife of Seoul, which is very special, as you know, Matt. Yeah, yeah, um, fun. The mat, uh, um, sorry, not the mat, the night. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> um, ends very early on the morning. Uh, and it's, yeah. uh, it's, it's basically packed in the streets at night. Everybody's outside and, and it's just like so friendly. I mean, I don't know. It, and food is really at the center of culture. We can say yes. that about many cultures, but in Korea... Folks pay money for for food. They for cook sure. at home. They eat in restaurants. And what is very interesting, they love to eat like at big tables, like with a lot of friends. They like to share or, or with the family. And you see all those big tables of people being very loud and happy. A little bit like they remind me a lot, uh, uh, if we can make an analogy, which is maybe not the right thing to do, but the Italians are very similar. Yeah. Right? And you say, I mean, look at the garlic they eat. I mean, in general. <laughs> yes, yeah, like the, the flavors are very, very um, uh, exaggerated sometimes. It's a lot of garlic. It's a lot of spices. It's a lot of uh, uh, strong, pungent flavors. Uh, it's it, it very much um, the equivalent of what the Italians are doing, but in, in Asian, with the Asian style. Yeah, and I love it. I have to say, I had a great time. I love the food. I loved everything, um, and it's why I have been so many times. It's, and I saw that in that first trip five years ago, I saw there's dots connecting between your religion, which you, is very important to you, Buddhism is yes. very important to you, and, and the food um, culture, the Korean Tr- temple cuisine. Yes. Um, it, are you uh, researching t- Korean temple cuisine? Are you are you putting that style onto your menus? No, I do it for personal um, desire. To be educated on on temple food because I'm a Buddhist, what whatever I I learn in in that religion, I basically bring it back to Le Bernardin in a secular way. Obviously, I do not try to impose on anyone my beliefs. Uh, I do not try to convert the staff. Obviously, <laughs> so I bring the the positive messages in a secular way. And in terms of food, uh, it's as you know, Le Bernardin is a seafood restaurant, but now we have a testing menu that is vegetarian, that is very popular. Uh, to my, actually, I'm surprised it's so popular. But we have a clientele who says, you know, we will, we will have come before, but we are vegetarians, and and 
So we please everyone. And obviously in that vegetarian menu, some of the influences come or the techniques are from the temple food uh, sure. uh, in Korea. Well, you take a restrained palate. There are some, some restrictions in the, in the, di- in the, the diet, but yes. you, it offers a lot of creativity for you, right? For sure. Well, the restrictions are, are big. I mean, it's, it's vegan yeah. and it's no garlic and onion. That that no garlic, no onion, vegan. Yes, that's that's hard to make that. It's pretty hard. Delicious. Now at Le Bernardin, it's not a monastery, neither a temple, so we can use garlic and and uh, and onion and so on. And and I, I love it actually. Mm-hmm. The food's delicious. I, I I love temple cuisine. I think it's a nice yes. break. It's very clean and very pure. Absolutely. And flavors are really like precise, and mm-hmm. the food is fresh, and it's just. An experience. And when we were texting to set up this interview, I you were just about to leave for Japan. And I yeah. wanted to talk about Japan because you've been going to Japan since the 90s, maybe the 80s. Yeah, I, I have been going to Japan quite a bit. And I, I love Japan as well. You go back there, I seem seems like every year. What, what, what sends you back there? And what was this last trip like? What were you up to? So I was in Tokyo. I wanted to see what's going on in the city, uh, what's happening in terms of gastronomy Mostly, but you know, I I love I love Tokyo. It's it's a very pleasant city to to stay in. And then I went to Koyasan this time, which is ne- in between Kyoto and Osaka. I went to Osaka as well. And Koyasan is basically in the mountains. It's gorgeous, and it's hundred and fifty different temples. And I stay a couple of days with uh, the monks in, in, oh, okay. in some temples. And I uh, um, study is a big word. I ate a lot of temple food. <laughs> oh, so you, it was it was a yes. what about fish though? What, ta- like, what about fish? Um, so, gen- so fish was when I was back in Tokyo. Yeah, what was that like? What were you having? Well, I went to some great restaurants. Yeah. Some, of course, some sushi places that are great, uh, but. The, re- the 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 revelation there for me was a, a restaurant called Ryujin. I thought was just unbelievable what what Chef Yamamoto is doing there. Uh-huh. Did you get to go out late night there too? I mean, Tokyo has got a really fun late yeah, night. Yeah, the bars are fun, yeah. uh, and and you have a Golden Guy, which is like mm-hmm. the area where it's really busy. Tiny little restaurants and bars. Tiny bit, yeah, t- tiny restaurants everywhere. Yeah. Uh, it's a lot of fun, so I went there, of course. Of course, and uh, I, I went. I think I did all all the boroughs of Tokyo this time. <laughs> oh yeah, I mean that's a. I mean that city. We, I was there for like seven days. That's a wonderful city just to immerse yourself in. Yes, absolutely. So great. What are your future travels? And tell me, are you shooting your television show in the near future? I'm working on a, on a television show. Wonderful. Hopefully, hopefully, we will be successful. I don't want to jinx it. And uh, it will be definitely about traveling and and di- discovering cultures and and eating hopefully uh, a lot. <laughs> <laughs> Where do you want to go? I mean, your shows. I love Vivek Eric because it really is a travel show, and it, it really is it shows your enthusiasm from the learning about cultures. I love that you are learning as we, yes. as we move on, and I love that. It's, where do you want to go? I want to go everywhere yeah, I can yeah. go. I mean, in the world, I, I find the world beautiful in different ways. And it's very rare that I don't like in my mind or I have been in a region that I say, I don't, I don't like to be here. I always find something beautiful about it. Uh, sometimes it's, the landscape is challenging and the weather is challenging, but the people are wonderful. Sometimes 
you have some very tropical uh, destinations that are wonderful and and so on. But I'm I'm very interested all the time by, of course, the aesthetic, but mostly the people and their yeah. culture. New connection, and that goes, of course, uh, with the food that they eat and and what they drink. How do you stay balanced in your life? I, I, you've mm. been through a lot this year, and how do you stay? Yeah. You've been through a lot. How do you stay stay balanced? I, I think the fact that I meditate every morning, uh, and I'm pretty disciplined about that. Uh, the fact that I uh, I study my spirituality on a daily basis, and I have the luck to have someone who comes to my house, um, a Tibetan monk, um, Tibetan and Nepalese monk, um, who comes to, uh, uh, once a week to my house. That definitely. Uh, and bring richness in my in my spirituality, but also I have a, I think a good balance. I spend time at the restaurant, obviously with the team, and and I make sure that um, Le Bernardin is at the top. Uh, we do the maximum we can, and then I spend time with my family, and I see them every day. It's very rare that I, except when I take a trip for myself, but that is time that I have for myself. So I have find a balance in between time for time for myself. That's important to say that out loud. Very important, and time for the family and time for work. And I try to balance it in in a in the right way. And uh, I'm I'm pretty lucky that the family support me in in that vision. And when I say it's time for myself. It's no question asked. You need it. And and when I come back, I believe I'm a better family member, which supports me to be a better boss, which supports my family. <laughs> yeah. Is your son going to – he's getting up there. Is he going to be in the restaurant world? Do you feel like he has a future there? I don't know. He's 15. Yeah, he's getting there. He's waking up in the middle of the night because he's starving, and so he cooked pasta for himself. <gasps> uh, Dry pasta? Boiled it? Yeah, uh, yeah, he boiled it. He put some tomato sauce, ton of parmesan. I don't know what he does. <laughs> um, <laughs> and then uh, he loves to eat, but I'm not sure he, yeah. he's uh, excited about going to a kitchen yet. Well, it sometimes takes a little more time. Yes, 15 years old, it's yeah. very young. Although for me it was uh, interesting because I knew all my life that I wanted to become a chef. And at 15, I was already in culinary, culinary school. I know. And your mother had taken you to so many wonderful restaurants. Yes. And she'd really yes. – and so is your son. Has been that was my reward. I was like, yeah. I want to go to that restaurant and that one and that one. <laughs> it was. I love that part of your memoir, the way yeah. – oh, and – I mean, you've, you've, you've really encouraged him, I'm sure, to take his own path, right? Of course. Yeah. I, I guide him as much as and his mother as well. We, I mean, that's the role of the parents, to yeah. guide uh, your child without imposing on him and mm -hmm. to try to be as inspirational as you can yeah. and bringing a certain discipline and rigor, but obviously uh, not being abusive. <laughs> no, no, not, but you're, you're a tough dad. You're, you're, you're strict. Do you find yourself strict? I'm strict, yes. Yeah. I'm definitely strict, but I don't have to raise my voice. Of course not. You don't do um, that anyway. <laughs> and I don't have to obviously be physical and, and slap him or anything like that. No, I mean, thank, thank you. Those thankfully. days are over, of course. Yeah, those days thankfully are over. But when I grew up in France, it was very common for parents to slap their, their children. Yeah. I mean, I don't know in America, but it was like common practice. 
pretty common in America and like in the 70s. Yeah. So, but, and then things have changed, for, I think, for the best. I agree with you. We ask all of our guests, this is my last question uh, on the Taste Podcast, if there was a dream cookbook you could write for your next book project, what would that be? My dream cookbook. So, uh, I have many dream cookbooks. Sure. And you will have many ahead of you, I'm sure. Yes. Well, lately I'm working uh, on a vegetable cookbook. And not vegan and not temple food, but on a vegetable cookbook. That's amazing. And I'm totally into the process as as we speak. I mean, I'm, after I'm going to go back to the kitchen and, and test a couple of recipes. And, and I want... I want to do a cookbook that uh, obviously pay homage to the vegetables, but that is simple. Like like a tomato, when you have a good tomato, you cut it in pieces, a bit of olive oil, rock salt, cracked pepper. What else? You don't you don't even need vinegar. I mean, since I've met you, you've always spoken about mushrooms. I mean, this is like the fifth time we've talked about my, like you have such a passion for vegetables. Yes, you're a fish. Chef, that's your specialties. We've yes. won awards, but and I love, I love of cooking fish. Do. Of course, but this is really cool to hear because I think, yeah, yeah. I mean, in Japan the other day, they were like rolling uh, Persian cucumbers, like tiny ones, like in salt, just like that, and then wrapped in 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 a sushi rice and 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 nori, and they give it to you like that, and you have an epiphany. It's unbelievable, unbelievable how good the salt uh, on the skin of the cucumber goes. So the other day in the kitchen, I just roll one in the salt like that, then took the salt out and just ate it. Oh, man. And it was like, wow, it's so, it changed completely the, the not only the test that it enhanced, but also the consistency of the, so the recipes like that, I want to put them as in, in the book as snacks, easy snacks to do. I think I would absolutely make that at home. Yes. Thank you, Eric, for joining the Taste Podcast. My great pleasure. Thank you so much, Matt. Here's Deb Perlman answering a question from a reader. So we're hanging out with Deb Perlman of Smitten Kitchen at her apartment, and we have a question from a reader, which is, are there any restaurant dishes in New York that you really love that you've been able to kind of recreate convincingly at home? I'm obsessed with the potatoes at Barbudo, and I, um, I've almost gotten it right. You really, I mean, I've watched them make it. I like will sit there and ignore the people I'm with and just watch them make them. So I know how they're made, but I've been trying to reverse engineer them so they're not deep fried because, because aside from the fact that it's sort of a pain and really unhealthy, like nobody wants to deep fry at home. I know very few people delight in getting cauldrons of oil for a single dish that's actually kind of a side dish um but i really i'm gonna i'm gonna get it right so i'm i'm this close to getting them right at least in a frying pan what's special about the potatoes from barbudo what are they like they have um they're clearly like old boiled potato not old but like they're not freshly boiled they've definitely been sitting in the fridge they're fully cool i think they're just basic russet potatoes and they basically i watch it like the guy takes them cold and he just crumbles them in his hand into the fryer and you have like small pieces and big pieces. And when they come out like really golden brown, somehow the small pieces are not burnt. See, this is the hard thing. When I try to do in the oven, the small pieces burn before the big pieces get color on them. But in the fryer, it's much faster and it goes more evenly. They take it out and they toss it with a tremendous amount of pecorino, like the really salty kind. And they use some 
sprigs of rosemary um, that are, I think, were probably briefly fried too because they're crispy and salt. And they just kind of like toss it around in this big metal bowl. And it's just, it's perfect. It's just perfect. They look like, it looks like a pile of rubble. And it's just so good. <laughs> and you, your version happens in the oven. I've kind been, of a roasted version. I tried the roasted. It didn't work. I've had more luck using doing a, um, you know, the sort of crash hot potato style where I crumble them into a frying pan, which does have a bit of oil in it, like, but not, not as much as you would need to deep fry. So like about, you know, a good quarter inch, like a good amount. And I find I have more luck with that. Are there any of your regular dishes that you cook that are kind of inspired by restaurant dishes that you've had? I definitely get a lot of inspiration at restaurants like that that are using really just simple ingredients that aren't that different from what you already have around, but they're using them better. Because that's, for me, it's like really the nut of how I like to cook. So I don't really want to run around to specialty stores, but if somebody finds some way to take the stuff I already have, I mean, what was I just talking about? Like Parmesan, Pecorino, russet potatoes, like, you know, rosemary. This is like fairly basic stuff. Oh, and one day I'm going to figure out how to either... Or she's going to finally publish the recipe for the um, olive oil pound cake at Abraxo. What is the olive oil cake like? <sighs> it's like what's the, special it's a, about it. It's just it's a pound cake, and it tastes. It's just very. It's not too sweet. Um, it's not. I don't know. It's very rich, and it has a really good crumb to it. Like it has a fairly dense crumb, but it doesn't feel too heavy, and it has a really nice, like almost crunchy edge to it. People are obsessed with it. Cool. I hope you figure it out. The Taste Podcast is hosted by Matt Rodbard and me, Anna Hiesel. The show is produced by Gabrielle Lewis, studio recordings by Pat Stango, theme music by Steve Rydell. Interviews are recorded live at Books Are Magic in Cobble Hill, Brooklyn, and at Penguin Random House Studios in Manhattan. Visit Taste online at tastecooking.com. Thanks for listening. <laughs>